0: Hello and welcome to episode number 560 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell and today Amanda and I are listening to your questions and we're answering them. Well, we're reading your questions because you're listeners and then we're going to answer them. So we're going to talk about reading when you're burnt out, saving the last book of a series and about mood reading. We also talk about video games, cozy horror, and we take a side trip into why is everything labeled a rom-com and why does that make me so annoyed? I want to say thank you to Agatha, Malara, Clay, Ellen, and Abigail for the questions for this episode. If you would like to join our Patreon, that's where a lot of these questions come from, from the Patreon and from the Discord, which you get as part of being in the Patreon. If you join the Patreon, you also get bonus episodes. It's very, very fun. I also have a compliment this week to Nikki. The local birds where you live have noticed how kind you are. And so they've all agreed to make sure that one of them is singing whenever you are outside. If you would like a compliment of your very own, have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Every pledge keeps me going. Make sure that every episode has a transcript. Howdy, Garlic Knitter! And keeps me going. Plus, it's really fun. I like supporting the things that I love, so it means a lot to me that you support this show. So thank you. This episode is brought to you in part by Lumi Deodorant. It is spring, which means in my part of the world, it's going to get humid in a hurry. And thankfully, Lumi deodorant makes it easy to feel dry and comfortable, and they have wonderful scents to choose from. Lumi is a uniquely formulated pH balanced deodorant that was developed by an OBGYN. It's aluminum free, skin safe, and clinically proven to control odor anywhere on your body for up to 72 hours. And heads up, new customers can get $5 off Lumi's starter pack with code SARA30 at LumiDeodorant.com. I really like Lumi. And my teenagers also like it. One of them stole the deodorant wipes that I got and brought them to school. And I have heard reports that they are awesome. They work really well and they don't smell weird. I mean, that's really high praise from a teenager, right? Lumi comes in a few choices of scent. There's clean tangerine, toasted coconut and lavender sage, which I really like. It's a first of its kind. It's designed to be safe to use anywhere on your body, even your feet. Some products will try to mask odor with fragrance, but Lumi is formulated and powered by Mandelic Acid to stop odor before it starts. It's like a pre odorant. And Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like a mini body wash and the deodorant wipes, which are now living in a gym locker, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code Sarah30 at LumiDeodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit LumiDeodorant.com and use code Sarah30. All right. You ready? We're going to talk about reading conundrums and habits or reading habits and reading conundrums on with the podcast. Are you ready for mayhem?
1: Am I ever ready? No,
0: no, no, no one's ready for this level of mayhem. Okay. So on the document that I shared with you, if you scroll down to page, to the very bottom There is an email from Agatha that I wanted you to read because I know it's going to make you very happy. This is from Agatha Andrews, who hosts the She Wore Black podcast Yeah, about horror. Ooh, yeah. All right. So hit it.
1: Hi, Sarah. Since you're the one that inspired my discovery of cozy gaming or gaming at all by suggesting Yonder, that really helped me feel better during lockdown. I wanted to let you know that the other game that company made is on sale. In the Nintendo Switch game store, and it looks as beautiful and fun. It's called uh, "Grow Song of the Ever Tree." I think I have that on my wish list. Um, I guess it says it's amazing that those three to five minutes of you and Amanda talking about Yonder opened up an entire gaming world to me. I follow Cozy Gamers on YouTube now. After Yonder, I played Animal Crossing during lockdown, and it was great to visit my friends on their islands. and helped our feelings of isolation so much. We would hang with KK Slider and joke that it was like when we moshed in pits together during the mid-90s. Hope all is well, Agatha. Isn't that lovely? I mean, look, I'm not saying Animal Crossing started the pandemic, but it was awfully coincidental. Oh, I
0: definitely I- saw a comic <laughs> of somebody saying, wow, I wish I had nothing to do but play the new version of Animal Crossing one month later. That's
1: not what I meant. <laughs> I, when it came out, I don't play anymore. I definitely fell off the wagon. But I think I have like 700 hours in oh. that game. I was like, I love a collection mechanic. So you give me little bugs and fish to collect. Yes, that's why I'm enjoying Dredge right now. Agatha, if you're listening, that's my new cozy game. It's a cozy horror so i would recommend dredge and that's, strange horticulture if you like some cozy horror that's her dredge. street that's her old that's her old, yeah. her old boulevard dredge is like you're a fisherman and kind of this cosmic horror like fishing village area and you have to collect like different kinds of fish and some of them are like aberrations of normal fish um definitely like a little spooky and eerie and then strange horticulture you run like a like a florist botanical apothecary shop and people come in and request your help and you can like if they're annoying give them the wrong herb they need to make them like break out into boils and there's like sourcing of materials boils you say yeah there's like a little cult element to it Okay. So So somebody basically
0: made this game thinking, what would Amanda like?
1: Give me creepy cozy all the time.
0: Creepy cozy and a collection collection mechanic.
1: I love collecting stuff. I'm playing World of Warcraft now, again, for the umpteenth time. It's Noble Garden, which is the WoW equivalent of Easter. And you can go egg hunting. Oh no. And when you collect eggs, you can get like different mounts or little pets or like little cosmetics to wear. Um, So how is, how is
0: Judi Dench doing with the egg collecting?
1: I've been on that egg grind. (laughs) I even like, Adam would be so proud of me. I quantified it. I was like, okay, if it takes me a minute and a half to two minutes to collect 10 eggs, that means I could collect 500 (laughs) eggs in this amount of time. Um,
0: Oh, Oh my gosh. That's really funny.
1: Yeah. So I've been hunting eggs in Warcraft to get the last of all of the like you know easter goodies that's what i think and it's just relaxing i just sit at my computer do my little circuit yep collect my eggs
0: we have a bunch of questions from patreon folks that have to do with reading and i had one come yes. in yesterday that i added at the end so i wanted to start with that one sure. abigail asked what do you do when you hit burnout on books i keep getting 40% in And then entirely fading away from books I really thought I'd enjoy. Okay, so this is me since early March. Yeah, that's been my life. Yeah, I have this. burnout. I have this massive lull. Like I have my little reading spreadsheet where I track all the start and end dates and my ratings and all that. And there's this massive lull from like the first week of March until roughly now. Basically, nothing I tried was interesting. So what I actually did was say, okay. You're just going to play video games. We're taking reading off the table because then if it becomes like a cudgel that I beat myself up with, like, you're not reading enough. You're not reading enough. Well, that doesn't help me feel better, does it? No. No. So I took a complete break from reading and played video games. And I listened to books that I've already listened to so that I would have a story to just sort of soothe that part of my brain because I know reading is good for my mental health. But I was just dealing with so much. I think it's a combination of stress because we're going through the end of senior year and we're doing a lot of college travel coming up this month that we have to help my older child make make a college decision. Um, and it, that's really draining my ability to pay attention to any kind of book. So I haven't really read anything since maybe the second week of March. And then earlier this week, I absolutely tore through shipwrecked by Olivia Dade. And it was so much fun. It was so fun. And I was like, "Oh, actors deserted island, really really snarky barely concealed disdain for the Game of Thrones show showrunners, which I've watched like zero Game of Thrones except through like five gift sets on Tumblr and even Weird I know what anything. shit heels they were." That that just taking a break and saying, don't worry about it, don't think about it, and then coming back when something really grabs me definitely helped me out. What what do you do when you have burnout on books?
1: Well, I think it's like you want a good story, mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily want the mental work involved. Yes, in that's exactly it.
0: My brain just didn't have the, the capacity. Yeah.
1: Yeah, So it's definitely uh, video games. I've been on a video game kick. The new, like, World of Warcraft expansion. Dredge, the creepy fishing game that I've been playing. Um, I also downloaded a new game called Potionomics, where you run your own potion store. So you have to run it. um, But you have to, like, source materials, and there's, like, a romancing element. Like, um, right now I've only unlocked, like, three of the romance options one of them is a non-binary morally gray witch who sources materials another is like a buff like golden retriever woman essentially <laughs> uh, who it, like wants to be a hero so it goes on quests and stuff for you but you run your own like potion shop and you have to like you know, source your stuff and make your potions and like haggle with customers. So and there's a that, story, like, so you're getting the story fix. Yes, um, of course. Like your uncle left you this potion shop, and it's millions of dollars in debt. Like of course that's it is. the story. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I video games definitely. I've been playing a lot of board games. We've been playing a lot of Wingspan. I know Wingspan is a favorite in the Discord uh the premise of the board game is your bird watching and so you have to collect all these little birds that you're watching and they're laying eggs and doing other these other things and they all count towards points so I've been playing a lot of games and I then, have to
0: say that sounds ideal for me because I have an app on my phone called Merlin which is I believe part of Cornell University and there's a sound ID. So if in my backyard and I hear a bunch of birds, I open Merlin and hit Get Sound ID, and it will start recording the ambient noise and tell me what birds I'm hearing.
1: It's a beautiful game. Like I think the this artwork might be a good is game beautiful. There is like a solo play option too. If you don't have anyone around to play with, um, we haven't tried that yet. And then like watching a lot more TV than we used to. I think I I mentioned previously. Like we're on we're on that anime kick. <laughs> we bought we bought a Crunchyroll subscription. That's Ooh. how serious it is. So right now we're almost through the first season of Jujutsu Kaisen, which is like a little monster of the week. Lots of anime battles, stuff like that. Sometimes we're like half watching it. Like Brian might be on their like Steam Deck or like playing games on their phone and like I'm doing other stuff. So like, you know, I feel like media that you can... Switch your brain off a yeah. little bit and turn it on autopilot, whether it's like games, a book you've read or listened to before, you know, shows that are a little lighter and serve more as like background noise than anything. That's kind of where I'm at.
0: That's really good advice, I think, because what you're saying is essentially you need to, when when you hit burnout, you decouple the reading from... Conscious uncoupling. Yes, you're consciously uncoupling <laughs> The, the, the act of reading from the act of giving your brain that restorative, peaceful sort of, I'm being told a story part of, of reading. So you're, you're separating in order to get this feeling of relaxation and contentment. I must be reading. You just take the reading part out and see what else might fill that, that need and then come back to reading. I hope that I hope that advice helps, Abigail. Book burnout is the the worst,
1: and and don't beat yourself up yes. too badly. Do about not cudgel. It.
0: No cudgeling. There's no cudgel. Do you want to read Malara's uh, Malara's question? Sure. And then Melara, Clay had an answer that I thought was so it's a very thoughtful answer. But also Clay is in the Discord, and every morning Clay does a greeting to everybody in the Discord, and it is the most wonderful, adorable thing. I love it so much. So thank you for that, Clay.
1: So Malara says, Hi Malara. You, hi Malara. Do you save last books, last episodes, last season, et cetera, only under special circumstances? Not at all. I recognize that people do this, but it never really was something that occurred to me before I realized others do it. I put quotes around the word save because for me, it feels like denying myself. It just ends things sooner and you don't get that last bit and it would drive me mad. Yet it clearly brings some people a lot of joy. If you like saving last parts of things, do you like to do that in all forms of entertainment or does the type of media it's in matter or does it depend more on what else is going on around you at the time?
0: And Clay answered in the Discord, I own but have not read The Shepherd's Crown by Sir Terry Pratchett. I adore Pratchett to the extent that I brought his books to the births of my children so that their first out-of-belly story time would be Discworld all. But in his final years, he was making a solid effort to settle all of his characters into happy endings and close all the arcs which made for books with choices that I understood as an empathetic human but did not believe as a reader. Since The Shepherd's Crown is the last, and if I read it and didn't like it, there's no possible future book to take that disappointment away, I prefer to live in a world where there is still a Pratchett novel waiting for me. I completely understand that sentiment. I, do, I have never saved a last book of something. I... Nope. If it's there, I'll read it and that, and I'll know that it's the end. I will wait if I think I'm not like, I don't have the emotional capacity to process the ending of what I think might happen. I mean, I've read enough that I can usually predict some things with some accuracy. I know how the story beats work at this point. If I don't think I have the emotional capacity to handle what's going to happen in that ending, I might wait until I do, but I'm absolutely going to do it. I'm not going to save it. To some unspecified future date. Do you save things? No, I'm yeah. too impatient. <laughs> I I'm, that. An,
1: I'm an impatient person, but also when we're talking about a series and reading, I need there be I need there to be a momentum. So, like usually, I try to I like cliffhangers. I'm not like anti cliffhanger but I need the momentum to keep going. So if I read book one and it ends on a cliffhanger and book two is not out for another year, there's a very high chance that I'm just going to forget about the series. <laughs> yes. that, that is that like, is, that is, that is true. Yes. That I'm is just going to move on. I'm just going to move on because there are so many books coming out. I was just going to say, time. there's a lot of books. There's so many. So like, You know, I would prefer for a bulk of the series or all of a series to be out by the time I start reading so I can kind of keep that reading momentum like one right after the other. Um, Otherwise, I am terrible of like, once I put something down, it is a struggle like to, to return to it sometimes. And it's not necessarily of like, Oh, I wasn't feeling engaged in the series. It's just like a me problem of like a little bit of like shiny object syndrome of like, okay, out of sight, out of mind. I set this book down yep. onto the, onto the next thing. You know what I mean? But I don't like savor anything. I don't think I am a low willpower, high impatience sort of person. So like, you know, people will buy like little treats for themselves and like, I'm going to make this candy bar last all week. And it's like, no, I'm clawing into it the second I get out of the CVS. Like that's how it is.
0: I find it really interesting to talk about this because there's always, you know, you know how topics I've I've said this before, but I think that there is a lot there are a lot of topics in romance especially online on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever where a certain topic comes up and they all have different orbits. Sometimes the topic is once every quarter, once sometimes it's once every five years, sometimes it's once every 10. Sometimes a topic comes back and I'm like, wow, I'm old. I remember the last time we (laughs) talked about this. Like who, what to do with ARCs? That's an every six month conversation. What, What is the right thing to do with ARCs? What is your obligation when you receive a review copy? That's like every six months. But one of the other topics that comes back around is if you like a series, you should buy each book because reader interest in the series as it's released is what allows that series to reach an end point. And I understand that from a business perspective. I completely understand that. I also know that that's not the type of reader I am and I know I'm not alone in that. There are absolutely people who want to grab a series and follow it and anticipate the books and reread the previous one. Then when the next one is coming out, like they're a fan of the series experience. I am not a fan of the series experience because like you, when I put something down, I'm not going to necessarily remember it. And it takes a lot for me to be like, wait, who were the people in this series? What, where, what, what series is this? I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. And so I I am also a reader who's like, oh, there's four books. Awesome. I'm going to dive in. And I get it from a business standpoint and I get it from a fandom standpoint. And I understand the frustration of knowing that the series that you're writing might not get an end point because not enough people are following it. I am still the reader who's like, oh, I will wait and see if the series is complete because I need to know that everyone has an
1: ending. I also have a rant about reading a series comes out. And it's like, look, I've worked in publishing In the marketing and publicity side, I get it. I get that you need to repackage old stuff in the hopes of breathing new life into it. But nothing annoys me more than a publisher shifting design and format of a series halfway through the series. And it's like, really? okay, cool. Now my new books aren't going to match my old books. See, this is like, wild what? to me
0: because I could not possibly give less of a shit what the books look like. I just don't like, care what they're wearing. I don't care, care if it's wearing. like
1: hardcover versus paperback or whatever, but like right. keep the same design aesthetic. I don't want one looking like an ugly duckling amongst the rest of it. I want them to look all similar when it's on my shelf. Wow. That's... I know it's like very particular. Hey, but
0: it's wild to me because this is something (laughs) I have so little opinion on. Like I just, I don't care what clothes the books are wearing. I also don't have have a lot of physical books. So that's probably informing my decision.
1: Yeah, I don't buy a ton of physical books anymore, but I'm just thinking of like, I'm glad I waited to buy the A Court of Thorns and Roses series right. until the repackaging was done because oh, I love the new design. I
0: see, I see what but you're I, saying.
1: But I feel like I would have been pissed if I started buying them in the older cover designs and then they redid it. I mean, Sarah J. Moss, um, Mass. I can't ever remember if I think it's, it's Mass. Maas. Maas. Yeah. Sarah J. Mass, like bless her, she has so many. You know, very passionate fans who will collect everything, every format, you know, but, you know, that's not necessarily me, but I'm glad I waited (laughs) for the new designs because I feel like me personally, I would have been annoyed.
0: I feel like right now there, whoever is listening to this, there is a Sarah J. Mass fan who is screaming, yes, yes, it was horrible. I hated it. I was so mad. Thank you. Like you have totally just validated somebody's frustrations (laughs) with the redesign. Unless it's a book that the cover is so completely off the wall that I bring it out to house guests and I'm like, look at this. I just, (laughs) I don't care. Um, and I, and yet at the same time, if I were collecting something and the aesthetics of it changed substantially and I had no control over that, that would that would bother me. I
1: can understand it. It's definitely like a looks thing, like because my like personal library is such a mix of like hardcover and like bound manuscript arcs and <laughs> like paperbacks and mass markets. Like it's definitely a hodgepodge of like sizes. It's more like design. Yeah. While Stephanie, my previous roommate because now I'm living with my partner um she is definitely a gal that's like all hardcover all the time wow like yeah so most of her books are nothing but hardcover releases um or like special editions through like, Uh, book box subscriptions and stuff like that but it's mostly hardcover i rarely see no mass markets i rarely see a paperback unless it's like an author that she's collecting for um yeah no arcs that go on her shelves or anything like that wow yeah I feel like my shelves are like the island of misfit toys. It's just like a just an assortment of formats and shapes and sizes.
0: All of the all of the books that I own that I paid to move here seven years ago now, they are, there's probably maybe twenty. Some of them are copies of books that I've written. So if you take the ones I wrote, I probably have like fifteen solid copy, like physical three-dimensional matter copies of books in my house at this point. Not counting cookbooks, of course, that's a different thing.
1: We just packed up my books at the apartment and I got rid of a lot, a lot of books. Yeah. And I still, Brian was like, you have a lot of books. I, was like, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And then we like finished the living room and like my bedroom was mostly packed up and I go to look in my bedroom. I was like, Oh no, there are several piles of books in the bedroom that we forgot. Oh no, no, <laughs> so we had to like pack those up. I had like old post boxes, but yeah, a lot of books. Not quite sure what we're gonna do with them once they get moved. We don't have any bookshelves because I tossed the ones that I owned because they're like particle board, they're yeah. not gonna survive a move. Yeah, um, but yeah, I got through a lot and I still have so many, so many. So, but I, I did have those tough conversations of like, I read this and I liked it. Do I need to own it forever? Yeah. No. Yeah. So I had donation pilot went.
0: I had that same conversation. I like, I read this book. I loved it. I remember when I got it or I, I, I remember when I, when I read it and it was so important. Do I want to pay somebody to move it to States South? No, I do not. We're getting rid of it. <laughs> so we have one more reading. What did I call this? Reading Conundrums conundrums and Habits. We have one more question from Ellen. I'm such a mood reader and would love to know how you balance the books you have to read for review or for interviews. I know some of them you must love and speed through, but how do you make it through the books you have to read on a certain timetable that you perhaps aren't in the mood for right then? Well, the simple answer, it's a good question. The simple answer is, for the most part when I write a review, I am trying to both represent my experience with the book and you know, give the the top 3 things that I think a prospective reader needs to know about it in order to make the decision as to whether or not they want to read it, or it's a review where I'm like, "Holy shit, have a seat, I got to tell you about some crazy business." Either way, if I'm not in the mood for the book while I'm reading it at that moment, it's usually one of a handful of things, either I'm just not in the mood for that genre and, or I'm not in the mood for this style or I'm not in the mood for this, like this story. And I can either represent that by saying, by posting a DNF review, which means I didn't finish it and here's why. But if the reason is me, well, that's not the book's fault. You know, there, there's nothing the book could have done differently to make me more engaged. That's all me and I'm, that's a me problem. And if it's a me problem, uh, I usually just don't review it right away or I think, okay, this isn't a book I, I can review. There are a lot of books, and I know this is true for you, Amanda, where you read the book and, you're, and your reaction was, well, those are some words. Okay. Like a C review is the hardest bo- hardest book review for me to write because for the most part, my reaction is, okay, well, that was a book. I don't really have anything to say about it.
1: Yeah. It's like you explain what happened and then you're like, It was fine. Yep. And that's, I can catch
0: that with other reviewers, like when I'm editing staff reviews, I can catch that when I notice that most of what the review is, is summary. You're telling me what happened. You're not telling me what you thought. That means that you don't have a lot of things to say about it, which is, which is not a review. That's a book report. But I understand because that happens sometimes.
1: Which is why I'm glad that we do like the lightning reviews now. Yes. Because you don't feel as pressured to like, wow, I have to talk about this book for like 800 to 900 words. And then you're like, I just don't have those words. Nope. Sometimes well, like lightning review, you can do like summary and then like a final paragraph of like thoughts and then you're done.
0: And the best thing about the lightning review is that you don't have to write a plot summary because the way that the review format posts on the site, the cover copy reposts from our database. So right it's like, here's the cover the copy. Bottom. Here's the review. Boom, boom. Done, done, done. Like mm-hmm. I uh, did a very quick joint review with Shana about Shipwrecked because she read it during the Collins strike. So we didn't review it. I read it this week and we were both like, let us sweet each other because that was a perfect confection of joy. And, you know, I actually have it open on my computer. I can tell you it's 700 words. Perfect for a dialogue lightning review. Boom, boom, boom. And most of the time lightning reviews are even shorter.
1: I think for me, it's a little different because for those people who don't know how smart pictures reviews work, you review what you want. yeah, I Sarah don't assign does not assign anything. you know, so if someone picks up a book and it's bad, it's because like you know no one forced them to read it. Sarah no. wasn't like you need to read this book and have it due by X date. you know, it's just like they really they picked it up because they thought it would be interesting and it wasn't Yep. um with other so I do some freelance stuff for other review sites. BookPage, and Kirkus. Um, Kirkus is anonymous, anonymous, so my byline is not out there for Kirkus, so you probably won't know what I'm reviewing and what I'm not. Um, with Book Page, it is. And those operate more traditionally of like, here's this book, please have the review in two weeks, yada, yada, yada.
0: And that's well um, in advance, right? Because these are both publications that aim for or around release date, right?
1: Yeah, I mean it varies. Like sometimes I'll have like 10 days to read and review a book, which can be a stretch. And sometimes I'll have like a month, six weeks. Um, but we are working in advance, like for book page. I think there was, uh, August titles. We're already thinking in August titles. Um, and with each of them, I, there's a little bit more freedom i think with book page in terms of the books that i get to review. uh my editor savannah usually sends out a list of titles and we kind of like list our first and second choices. um and then savannah assigns that way. if you tell them, hey, this type of book does not work for me or this author does not work for me. yeah. you're you should probably assign it to a reviewer who can be a little bit more impartial because I already know going into it, like this is not for me. Like when the strike was going on, I think I was assigned an Avon title um, from o. both from both places, and I asked, I was like, "Just hey, I want to respect the strike. Please don't assign me any Avon titles. Please re- please reassign this to somebody else." And they did, and it was yeah. fine. But first, pictures, pitches, like you can read whatever you want. Yeah,
0: I don't. I don't typically assign. And, and you know, that's probably to my detriment, because if I want the site to be attracting traffic of new book news, new people who are looking for the newest book, they're not necessarily going to find that because my philosophy has always been a book you haven't read is a new book, regardless of when it was published. And we've
1: had this conversation like back and forth. Like, for example, Happy Place, the new Emily Henry comes out this month. Are we going to have a review of it? I don't know. Depends if anyone wants to review it. Yeah. But it's like, you know, would it drive traffic? Maybe. Would anyone really care about what we have to say because it's already probably going to hit the New York Times bestseller list? Yeah. Are we
0: are we we are a fart in a windstorm for for coverage like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's hard to balance of like, yeah, it'd be really cool if we have this like buzzy title to cover. Mm-hmm. Um. But one, we're not going to force anyone if they don't want to. And two, is it really going to matter in terms of like all the other chatter that's happening about it?
0: Yeah, it's already going to be news when it comes out. We're we're not boosting anything, but I also don't know if there is a portion of Emily Henry fandom traffic, let's call it, that's going to visit the site and lift our stats. Like, I don't know that that's a thing that would happen either.
1: I will say the exception was I think the... So last year, I compiled the best of lists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Our our most read review from last year was The No Show by Beth O'Leary, reviewed by Shayna. And I think the reason why it generated so much traffic is because of what happens in the book and a lot mm-hmm. of the discussion of like, is this a romance? Is it not? Yes. Didn't see this coming. I'm trying to avoid spoilers. Feel free to read the review if you want. Um, and also see, that like, we do spoilers.
0: That's the other thing. If if yeah. if there is a spoiler that is germane to the discussion that the review is having, then we will include it and hide it with a specific piece of code. But I have no problem saying if the spoiler is relevant to what's being said in the review, I have no problem talking about spoilers.
1: And people can obviously choose. Yeah, to, you can choose to not to read it, it. If they want.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not making but you read it.
1: I think Beth O'Leary is a pretty buzzy author. And I think that it, the no-show is an exception to the rule because that review was talking about how it operates within the conventions of a romance and yes. how it did this sort of like unexpected thing in the book that we normally don't see yes absolutely and it also played with reader
0: expectations in a way that a lot of readers did not like
1: and yeah it's like it's more of instead of a review i feel like those definitely feel more of like a springboard to a discussion
0: yeah those that's a critique of what's the what the book is doing more than what the book is about because if it's genre fiction When it's saying I am this type of genre fiction, then we kind of know what the book is about and we know what's going to happen. And we know those, like I said, we know those beats. Like I am very interested in reading people's discussion of the overuse of the word rom com. I am ready. It's a nothing nothing burger. Yeah, I am ready. I am ready for publishers to stop saying that things are rom coms when they're not. I think it's really important to acknowledge that comedic contemporary romance is a very different set of tropes and storytelling beats than a romantic comedy film. Those are two totally different things. The The story and the trope and the beats and the things that are happening in a romantic comedy film are different than what happens in a contemporary romance that is funny. Those are two different things. And so y- those two labels don't cross over, in it's, my it's opinion.
1: Interesting, because like... The word, any any book that's described as funny automatically makes me bristle.
0: <laughs> um, how do you I'm know like, what I find funny? You don't understand my humor, I, how dare? That's
1: exactly <laughs> it. I love a rom-com movie, sure. Um, and I will go into those without any expectations. Also, can we get more rom-com movies, please? And thank you. Um, but with a book, I have been burned so many times. And it's usually by like authors that people I trust really love and they're like oh my god they're so funny you should try this and then I read it I'm like this is cringy and I'm embarrassed for everyone involved here like this I don't like this I don't like secondhand embarrassment you don't like
0: pratfalls you don't like slapstick and slapstick's hard to write anyway
1: yeah so like I automatically am like is it funny is it though (laughs) yes and I am
0: probably not going to describe this right but I'm going to try Okay, so if you're watching a film and it is a romantic comedy, commonly known as a rom-com, and say it's Sandra Bullock, can we agree that Sandra Bullock is frequently a rom-com actress? Okay, so you have... Queen of rom-coms. Right, so let's say you got Sandra Bullock and pratfalls happen to Sandra Bullock and embarrassing things happen to Sandra Bullock. My secondhand embarrassment watching that will be much, much less if the same things happen to a character in a book for two reasons. One, Sandra Bullock is a whole ass other person and Sandra Bullock carries with her the branding of being Sandra Bullock. Sandra Bullock is competent and capable and she is going to come through and she's going to do something great. And she's very, very much carrying that branding with her into that role. So I can, for example, watch her have incredible pratfalls and secondhand embarrassment. Because that's Sandra Bullock. By the end of the movie, she's going to have her shit together. That characterization comes with the branding of being Sandra Bullock. That is not true of a romance character. You can't tell me that a romance character is a movie star and, and then has this series of incredibly embarrassing professional events happen to her. I don't have the brand reassurance of Sandra Bullock in that book. I have the character. And because it's a book, I don't have that distance because this is all happening in my head. It's not happening outside. It's happening in my brain. That is too much emotional connection because when I'm yeah, There's
1: more of a removal.
0: Yes. And with a book, a I am deeply emotionally Asia. connected. I say this all the time that romance is trafficking in empathy. Romance is inviting you to have feelings, which is really intimate and vulnerable. And part of why romance gets a bad rap- but romance is inviting you to have deeply empathetic cre- uh, connections to the books that you're reading. And the same things that work on a screen for uh, romantic comedy do not work for me in a book because it's too immediate. It's too personal. It's too embarrassing. It's too cringy. It's too twee. I can't. So that is my theory as to why those are so different.
1: A lot of rom-coms, branded rom-coms now for books are very twee. And that is That is not my bag at all.
0: Oh, come Um, on. If I were going to describe you to someone who'd never met you, I would say Amanda is the most twee. I would not actually say that. That is utter bullshit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because at MIT, when I go to work, they're like, you're so friendly and you have like this very like... Not like high pitched voice, but like soft and bubbly voice is like, yeah, that's my stranger voice. Oh, yeah. When I'm like welcoming people into the lab or whatever, or talking on the phone, that's my stranger voice. Yo, A little higher pitched, a little more friendly. Like that's not like at home goblin mode, Amanda. That's stranger voice. <laughs> The Well, like, it just like switches. You oh, yeah. Just like without even thinking about it, answer the phone. Oh, yeah. Phone voice. Yeah. Yep. It's a different thing.
0: So this is a good series of of questions, I think, on reading habits and reading conundrums. And if anyone listening has additional questions about reading or how to manage reading or how to switch reading or anything to do with reading, please feel free to email us and ask because we love thinking about I mean, I love thinking about this and talking yeah. about it. It's interesting to think about what is your brain doing when you're reading? And how do you manage reading moods when it's a major part of your of, of your day? Like if I don't read for a while, I start to feel all gross. <laughs> and I have to remember you are ingesting a story. It's just not in the medium that you're used to. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you again to the Patreon community and the Patreon folks on Discord for helping me develop questions. I have a couple more episodes full of questions. And it's really, really fun to do these. I love hearing from you. I would also like to know what you do when you have reading burnout. What are your options when you just can't bring yourself to get into a book? What do you do when you're in a mood to read or not to read? And have you ever saved the last book of a series? Come find us on smartpitchestrashybooks.com and look at episode 560 to leave a comment. And also, that's where I'm going to put links to all the things the games, the books, the TV shows. It's all in the show notes. So head on over and talk to us. I would love to know your answers. As usual, I end with a terrible joke. This joke comes from my inbox and was sent in by Melanie G. Thank you, Melanie. Why do mice have such small balls? Give up. Why do mice have such small balls? Well, not that many of them know how to dance. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Melanie. I'm going to make my whole family groan at dinner with that joke, and I cannot wait. On behalf of everyone here, we wish you the very best of reading, and we will see you back here next week. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find outstanding podcasts to subscribe to at frolic.media slash podcasts.